baptism is a bit of a weird thing, isn't it? A bit of a funny thing that's just going on. Uh, but it's also an awesome thing. Christians are, are baptised, well, firstly because Jesus commands uh, in the Bible that his people are to be baptised. But you kind of got to go, why? Because that's a bit odd, isn't it? Baptism, as Ash has really helpfully pointed out already, is that public sign that's of someone's faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's that they trust Jesus as their Lord, their King, but also their Saviour as well. Baptism is a lovely picture of what happens, isn't it, when someone becomes a Christian. And I hope we've been really clear this morning. I think we have. We're saying, baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Rather, it is a sign that someone has become a Christian. It's that lovely picture, isn't it? The person being baptised, Barnaby and Zach, as, uh, as they went down in the water, they're dying to their old selves. There's a picture of that. They're dying to trusting themselves throughout life. Uh, and they rise to this new life. That's the picture. Trusting Jesus day by day. Obeying him in and through his word until, of course, as we just sung, as we meet him face to face. We've celebrated this, if you like, raising to new life in Barnaby and Zach today. They're publicly declaring that they are new people. Now with the Holy Spirit in their hearts, they've been born again, as John chapter 3 tells us. Or as we see in our passage today, they know a new birth. Look down at verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new births into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this new birth, is, I mean, it's a hard thing to get your heads around, isn't it? Because you, you kind of look and say, new birth, do we, all of us, do we really need it? Because it, you, people will look at us and go, that's a little bit radical, it's a bit kind of like fundamental. We don't really need that, do we? Look at us. I mean, look at around us. We live in SW18, you know, or, or nearabouts. You know. Look at us, we're well-educated, we've got nice jobs. We've, we're, all of these things, do we really need such a radical transformation? That's what many people in this area would think. Being born again, that, that kind of phrase, you know, people say, that's for the needy people. Yeah, maybe just down the road a bit, because that's what they need, but not me how well I've done in life. Barnaby and Zach at school and later on in life, people will laugh at you. I know they do already, but that's for different things. Uh, but <laughs> if you dare to suggest that such a radical change in life is necessary to be with God in heaven, people will think you are crazy. And you need to ask yourself, and you, I think you probably need to ask your friends who say that, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust your feelings and just the bit of money that you have now, or the nice house you have now, or the nice job you have now? Are you going to trust that, or are you going to trust the Lord of heaven and earth, who revealed himself through the Bible? See, the problem with being relatively wealthy, and I think many of us know this and we feel this, if you're relatively successful, uh, if you are you know, kind of relatively well-educated, is you think you're okay. And it's the most deceiving thing. 
It makes you believe that you don't need anything or anyone and you don't need God. That's what people think. And it's a dangerous place to be. God tells us, he pleads with us in his love, through the word, through the Bible, again and again and again. He's saying you need new life. New birth. You've got to be born again. And baptism is this just wonderful picture, isn't it, of new life that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. This isn't, you see, like, we're not doing something here which is just this radical section of Christianity. This is the Christian faith. Because as we see in verse 3, Christians are those who have been given, look at it, new births into a living hope. If, if you cast your eyes down to the, the outlines on your sheets, you'll see there, um, we're just going to cast our minds through these verses very, very quickly, just a couple of things. And I hope this is simple enough. Whatever age you are, you're here, have a look, and you'll see that we're going to look at new birth into a living hope. We're going to find out what it is, I think. What do we, why do we need it? How does it work in our lives? And then we're going to look at the very practical. As we walk out the doors today, what does living with a living hope look like? That's where we're heading. First point, what is it? Now, this is a little bit tricky. This is not that obvious to begin with. The new birth that Christians know, that transformation is described in numerous ways in the Bible. But here we get this little new perspective. Look at it. It's a new birth now into a living hope. Now let me point out some obvious things just as we kind of go, go forward. Note that we're given this new birth. You see that? We don't earn it. However well behaved you are at school or whatever you do at work, however well you do in life, you don't earn this. We're given it through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're given new birth into a living hope. What is that? Well, as we see in the beginning of verse 3, it must be good because praise goes to God. It's his work. All we have to do is trust him for that work as we receive new birth into a living hope. Also note, have a look at it. New birth brings living hope, which is an inheritance at the beginning of verse 4, that will never perish, spoil or fade. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Now, do you get the point? We still don't know what this living hope is. But we know that it is eternal, never perish, spoil or fade, and it is safe. It's kept in heaven for you. Meaning that it is utterly guaranteed. If you know new birth, you are guaranteed this. Nothing can stop you getting this. The boys and I quite like watching those Marvel films at the moment, and I know that some of you are in denial about it, but you also watch them because you tell me uh, about it. And uh, I see, you know, look, I feel sorry for my wife, Sarah, because she, she doesn't like them at all, but we, we watch them, and that's good. And can you imagine, you gave something to all of those Marvel characters? You know, Captain America, Spider-Man. I have to write them down, because I really haven't a clue. Black Panther, Wolverine... You, kind of, you put them all together, every single one. You gave them something really precious to protect. Now, for most teenage boys, that's their phone. But, you know, let's go for something really important. And, you know, and you protect. You give all of the Marvel characters something most precious to protect. Well, that would be pretty safe, wouldn't it? Well, this new birth into a living hope is infinitely more safe. 
It's kept in heaven for you. Look at verse 5. Shielded by God's power. Until the coming of the salvation. But what is it? Well, I'm really sorry. I'm going to frustrate you slightly because, uh, and annoy you because the answer, I think, comes a little bit later. Peter actually firstly shows us, and we're going to get to our second point now, why we need this new birth into a living hope before he shows us exactly what it is. He's some, he showed us some of the characteristics, how safe it is, how enduring eternal it is. But we don't know exactly what it is. So let's go to our second point. I hope you're frustrated. Don't blame me. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Second point. Why do we need this new birth into a living hope? Look at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Why do we need this new birth into a living hope? Do you see who Peter is writing to? And what they are going through. Look, look down at the verse and you see it's suffering. It's grief. Uh, in all kinds of trials. It's very, very possible that he's writing to a, a bunch of Christians who are suffering terribly. Being persecuted for their faith. They're being beaten. Their property is probably being destroyed. Very, very likely that many of them were also killed. Sadly, things haven't changed. And in many places around the world, right now, Christians are suffering equally to that. But all of us, to a degree, will suffer in this life. Suffering is just the taking away, I guess, of things that we put our hopes in. And we all have hopes and dreams, don't we? What are yours? What do you daydream about? Comfort? Wealth? Recognition, maybe. A bit of success in work. Love. Relationships. Maybe all of those things. And in many ways, that's absolutely right. But suffering is the removal of those hopes and dreams. And it can so easily, if if those things are taken from us, it can lead us to be angry and disillusioned about life. Life without hope, you see, it's no hope at all, is it? It's no life at all. And so we need a hope that is not dependent on those kind of things, on our circumstances. We need a hope that won't die, a hope that won't disappoint, a hope that won't frustrate us, a hope that can stay with us, yes, tomorrow at work, at school, in the whole of our days in this life, but also beyond as well. We need a living hope. You see, whatever the ultimate future hope of your heart is, That will utterly determine, won't it, tomorrow and next week and the day after. See, if you're living with the the hope that you will one day be something like Prime Minister or something like that. Barbie once said that, I laughed. Uh, But, you know, and and what if that never, ever happens? That's the hope of your, you know, everything of your life. I've got to be Prime Minister. And then it doesn't happen. You'll be crushed. If you, are li- if you are living with a hope that you will be married and have kids and a great job and, 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 and. Well, what if that doesn't happen? Well, you will either get angry or just feel hopeless and lost in life. If that is your ultimate hope. You see, we need an ultimate uh, future hope that will never disappoint us. And that will last through every day. We need a living hope. 
Because we will all experience loss and sadness and frustration and trial. We all suffer in that way. Even if your ultimate hope is your spouse and family, which, if I'm honest, is the big thing around here so often, you have a major problem. If your ultimate future hope is your spouse or your family or relationship, something like that, your kids will let you down. And if you have a look at your, the picture of your spouse, I don't know, look, look, go, go back to your marriage day. Look how awful they look in comparison to how they look then. <laughs> That's true of me. Oh, let's just be honest, come on. We're all dying. None of us are perfect. We all need a dependable, living, unchanging hope. A hope that can handle suffering. A hope that can handle death. A hope that can handle loss. And all the trials of this life. And do you see why we need this new birth? With a living hope? Because just like those who Peter is writing to... We too will face all sorts of trials and disappointments and desire. And if we put our ultimate future hopes in the things that will be taken away, the family, the money, success, uh, that we will be utterly crushed and disappointed through this life. And if you live long enough, and there's some here that have lived a long, long time, I'm looking at my parents here, but if you live long enough, you'll realise all those things will be taken from you. Family, money, success, everything. At some point we'll go. And that is why we need a hope that holds up under the pressure of suffering trial. And this isn't just important as we look forward. It's important for us today because the hopes we have now will, be con- will completely determine how we live every single day of our lives. Imagine, uh, if I can, I'm sorry I'm using Barnaby and Zach today. It's their kind of day, isn't it? Imagine I gave Barnaby a job. Barnaby, you're going to turn out really badly on this one, but there we go. Uh, imagine I gave Barnaby a job. It's a terrible job, and I treated him really badly, and I paid him, which was, you know, the, the apparently average wage I saw in the paper this week in London is 20, 20, roughly 25,000. Okay, so you've got a terrible job, terrible working hours, I'm going to pay you an average wage, 25,000, okay? Now imagine I give the same identical job to Zachary. And treated him in the same way. I was a horrible boss, you know, whatever. But I paid him a million pounds a year. Who would give up the job first? Who would endure for the future hope that we have? See, the hope we have now will determine how we live day by day by day by day. We need a living hope that won't be crushed by suffering and trial and one that will help us day by day to endure to the end and beyond. We need a living hope. Third point. How does it work in our lives? Look down with me at verse 6 and 7 if you can. Peter speaks about this new birth into a living hope. As we become Christians, we experience a new birth. That is, we rise to new life, trusting now Jesus as Lord and Saviour into this living hope. And we need this living hope now. But how does it work out in our lives? Look at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to 
suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, I'm sorry, we're going to go back to school for a second. Some school kids here. Um, just do some uh, grammar work for me, can you? Beginning of that sentence, what are the tenses in those words? In all this, you greatly rejoice. Peter is saying, in all this, in all this suffering, in all of this trial, you greatly rejoice. Present tense, present tense, present tense. Peter doesn't say, you might suffer, um, and then, oh, that'll be a bit bad for a while, and then you'll rejoice in the future. He doesn't look back and say, oh, you've had some pretty bad times of suffering, and now you can rejoice because it's not so bad anymore. Past, present, no, he goes present tense, present tense. Peter's saying you are suffering presently and will rejoice greatly presently. And this new birth into a living hope, what it does is it allows us to do both at the same time. And that, my friends, is utterly mind-blowing in the culture we live in. In a world around us, to those who, who haven't been born again, those without this living hope, this is a concept they will really, really, really struggle to understand. Because if you take something from something, something that they cherish and that they love, a hope, a dream, a loved one, they feel that that is a suffering so much that they cannot rejoice. It takes all the joy, it sucks all the joy out of life. They just get angry or sad. There is no such thing as joy regardless of circumstances in this world. But with a living hope in all this, your family's just been killed, uh, you've lost your house, you've lost your job, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. Rejoicing despite and in and through suffering. And just so we're clear, because you, know, you might think, oh, you know, suffering, they probably just say, you know, they probably had like the, the handbag stolen or something like, you know, this is, this is not petty suffering. Suffering, the word used here is the same word that is used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. Do you get the picture? It's big. This is not just a bad day at the office or a hard day at school. The people that Peter's writing to have been crushed with suffering. But they're still able to greatly rejoice at the same time. And indeed, you know, I found this really helpful going to this week. It's hard life sometimes. And you look at it and you go, is this really possible? Even some Christians... uh, and I know many like this will struggle with this. They try to separate the two, as I said before. You know, some will say, you know, we have a time, you know, particularly when you're young and enjoy life and everything's a bit easier and that, that kind of prepares you. Life's going to be hard at the end. Sorry, but being a Christian, being born again into a living hope means you cannot separate these two. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Look at verse 7 takes it a step further. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Oh, come on. I've never done it. 
But I think you probably know, when you put gold in fire, in a furnace, what happens to it? It refines it. It burns off the impurities. The gold comes out brighter, shinier, more beautiful, if you like. Better. And when Christians suffer, what happens? You get thrown into that fire of God's loving refinement and you come out brighter, better, more like Christ. How? I don't know, if, you, if you've ever been through a tough time, I, I'm sure many of you have, I know many of you have. In the end, you find yourself with nowhere to go, don't you? you your money can't sort out that problem. Your family, your education, none of it can sort out that difficulty, that trial, that thing you're going through. What does it do? It pushes you. It kicks you up the backside. It drives you to Jesus. You've got nowhere else to go. Suffering pushes us to Jesus to help us trust him more. Like 2 Corinthians says, it, it, it exposes our weakness so we can trust in his strength. And the only, only the living hope from a new birth of becoming a Christian can know this. Suffering with joy, same time. What does that mean for us, though? Well, if you're a Christian here today, the point is you don't have to run and hide from suffering. That doesn't mean we're, none of us enjoy it. No, that's not the point here. But it means that we can cry and weep in our suffering. But at the same time, we can rejoice. Because we're being refined and our hope will not fade, but rather grow stronger in and through that. And this, I, I know it's hard. And it might even seem impossible. You kind of think, well, you look across the room and you think, they might be able to cope with this, but not me. I just, I'm not like that. I'm going to really struggle with this. Well, look at Jesus. You should remember Easter, he screamed on the cross in agony. And yet Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured it. Screaming and joy. Scream and joy. Both at the same time. So perhaps actually now we can finally see what this new birth into a living hope actually is. Sorry for frustrating you for this long. Look at verse 7 with me if you can. What may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed? It's interesting that the grammar shows us that Peter isn't speaking of the praise, glory and honour of Jesus himself, but rather it's the praise, glory and honour from Jesus. That is, our faith, shielded by God's power in verse 5, refined through suffering and trial in verse 6 and 7, results in praise and glory and honour from Jesus to you. And it's that wonderful, amazing picture of the gospel, isn't it? We get the praise and the honour and the glory that Jesus deserves as we put our faith in him and he, and he gets all the justice that our sin deserves on him. See, the living hope of this new birth totally changes everything as we begin to live lives 
honouring the undeserved praise and glory and honour that we receive as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's uh, finish, shall we? Living with a living hope. Last couple of verses and last couple of minutes. Let, let me reread them. Cast your eyes down if you can. Verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How do you live this out tomorrow? School. What's your first lesson tomorrow? Maths? Algebra? <laughs> it's a great thing. My dad's a maths teacher. Or was a maths teacher. He's going, ooh. It's brilliant. But how are you going to live out this living hope tomorrow? What is it to live with a living hope? Verse 8 is honest, isn't it? Jesus isn't going to be in your maths lesson or at work or at home. You're not going to see him in that way. It says you've not seen him, but look what it says. You love him. And you believe in him. And to the degree that you love him and trust him and believe in him, your heart ought to melt. That is, look how Peter puts it, be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So you love him and you trust him. When life is hard, notice what the gospel calls us to. We aren't, we aren't to do that kind of passive British, grit your teeth and get through the trial. And be so proud of yourself when you do, even though you're absolutely broken and bitter at the end of it. We're to actively love and to trust Jesus. You're to love him and you're to trust him. Jesus does exactly the same on the cross, doesn't he? Hebrews 12 again, verse 2. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He trusted his Father in and through. And he loved us. He endured for the joy set before him. Have you ever worked out what that joy is in Hebrews? What was Jesus' living hope? That's interesting, isn't it? We speak about our living hope. What was Jesus' living hope? It was you. It was me. Isaiah 53, 11 tells us that Jesus was to see the light or the fruit of his suffering and be satisfied, joyful as he justifies many. What kept Jesus on the cross? He could have got down. What kept Jesus on the cross? What was his living hope? You. And me. And he rejoiced in that suffering. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. That one day he would hold you in his arms. You are Jesus' living hope. And that should be just the thing that makes him your living hope. So love him, trust him. Be filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy, which is the taste, if you like, of the end result of your faith. Verse 9, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father,
Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much. This new birth into a living hope is kept safe, totally safe, in heaven for us. Enabled by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we give glory to him now, I pray. And I pray that that is so as we leave today. Today is a wonderful day of celebration. But may it be a day where we deliberately, prayerfully, determinedly step out of this building to honour and serve you with a joyful heart. Knowing that life is tough sometimes. But that we can have big hearts, bigger hearts than anyone as Christians. Because we can know suffering and trial. Yet at the same time, like the Lord Jesus Christ, we can rejoice in and through it. Knowing the living hope of the gospel will take us to be united in the arms of our Saviour and Lord. Amen.